Welcome to the Digitally Connected Podcast with Joel Herter and Drew Knoll. Technology is integrated into every facet of our lives, impacting the way we work, live, and connect with the people in our communities and around the world. In the rapidly evolving digital landscape, the Digitally Connected Podcast explores future trends from the leading innovators in tech so you can stay informed and stay connected. Now, here are your hosts, Joel Harder and Drew Null. Welcome back to the Digitally Connected Podcast. Drew, we've been wanting to get into this area of conversation since we've launched the podcast, which is you have the tech, you have the platforms, you have the innovations, you have the, the different ways in which they're going to market and people are using them. The tech is the tech. The question, though, does come in, how do we use it? Do we use it well? Do we not use it as well as we could? Do we use it for good or do we use it for bad? And there is this question of yeah. uh, how technology is integrated into our lives, and it can have really uh, negative consequences. It can have some really harmful impacts and effects on our lives and on our society. So excited to have Corey yeah. White with Future Point of View join us on the Digitally Connected podcast. I've known Corey for a number of years. I'm a huge fan of Corey's, huge fan of what you do, Corey, and what you do through Future Point of View. I love uh, seeing all the work that you and your team are doing. Corey, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Corey White and a little bit about what you do. Okay. Well, you had, uh, and Joel, I, I feel the same way about you and all that you do. And Drew, I'm just getting to know you as well. Uh, so I can't, I can't quite speak to that just yet about you, but, but, but Joel, Joel out. I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Joel, but uh, you got, you all had my boss on Scott Klazowski, uh earlier. And it's funny because he hosts a podcast called The Digital Optimist, and I don't need to plug another podcast on a podcast, but uh, he he's the digital optimist, and I'm I'm kind of what I call the digital pessimist in many ways. So what, what I our can company relate does, to that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we you know we help leaders look peer out into the future, kind of just what is technology doing, and what is impacts yeah. of technology going to have on their uh, organizations and themselves. Really, what do they need? to look out for. And I do do a lot of cybersecurity work as well. And that's where the kind of digital pessimist comes into it. Uh, but this topic of algorithmic bias, I kind of got into three or four years ago, four or five, and uh, just did research and more, the more and more and more I dug into it, the more and more I realized what a problem this thing is. Yeah, and Corey, you just recently gave a, a TED talk not too long ago, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, mm -hmm. on on algorithmic bias uh, biases. Um, can you just kind of walk us through what the high level is, or, or really kind of what you dug into in that in that TED talk? Well, how much time you got? Uh, I mean, my kids <laughs> are already no, in bed, yeah. so <laughs> it, may, it may take a minute. I'm kidding, but yeah, uh, yeah no, it is. It is. Uh, it's a topic I'm passionate about because you know a lot of people. They think, I don't need to worry about this. This is a technology problem. Well, yeah, no, right. this is a humanity problem. This, this problem, the algorithmic bias impacts every single one of us on a daily basis. Nearly, and I, I don't want to overemphasize, but pretty much most of, of the decisions we make today are in some way influenced by an algorithm. And that might be, you know, what restaurant we eat at. It might be, you know, what kind of clothes we wear. It might be the type of people we date, 
right? Mm. Those are, are, are influenced by algorithms. It might be if you're able to get a job, if you're able to get a loan, it might be if you're picked up by the police. All these things uh, are influenced by algorithms. Algorithms are what, what algorithms are the you know they're the the backbone of machine intelligence. So when when an algorithm, uh, when a machine, I should say, when a machine needs to learn, well, it's fed enormous amounts of data, right? And then through this data, it learns. And and these these algorithms are in. Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, all the social medias, uh, but they're also in things like facial recognition cameras. There's things like police are using them to decide on where to send resources, colleges using them to decide on who gets in to the college, to the university. So you can see the wide ranging impact of these things. So we feed these algorithms data to help them learn. Yeah. But if the data is wrong, these algorithms can make bad decisions. Cool. And that is Corey, a huge issue. Corey, you're going to have to break this down a little bit because you just threw so much at us. I mean, somebody's sitting here listening <laughs> yeah. to this podcast and they're saying, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean that an algorithm's deciding who I date? What do you mean an algorithm mm-hmm. is deciding? Uh, maybe even the well, thought of where do I go eat? Uh, these are everyday decisions that I thought mm-hmm. I made. Break that down. How exactly is it that algorithms are influencing these behaviors and these decisions? Let's take the dating example, right? Because online dating platforms, obviously, during a time of social distancing became such a huge thing. It's really the only way you could meet a person. Mm -hmm. A lot of these uh, dating algorithms or these dating apps, they use something called collaborative filtering. And that is the type of apps typically where you swipe left and you swipe right. When you first open these apps, it has very little information about you. So it's going to feed you the most popular users first. So that's the collaborative is between you, the app's algorithm, and the popularity of the other users. So the the more popular the users are with others, the more likely you are to see them. So you open up the app, it's going to feed you the most popular users first because it has no idea really about your preferences, your likes, what what you're interested in. And then as you swipe left and you swipe right, it kind of starts to build a profile on you. It starts to understand the type of person you like. Well, the danger in that is that it continues to feed you the type of person you want to fall in love with. It's reinforcing your understanding, your belief of what is beautiful and the type of person you should fall in love with. It's reinforcing that instead of opening you up to a different subset of people, to a wider subset of people, people that, you know, you could fall in love with and it could change your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe your soulmate, you might miss your soulmate because this algorithm has said, you know, I don't think he'd be interested in that person or she would. Okay. Yeah. And the thing that I think is interesting in that, right, is you know, we always talk about the tech is benign, right? In the sense of it is what it is, right? An algorithm is an algorithm. It's neither positive or negative. It's how it's used. It's right? ones and zeros, right? They, yeah, they, they see ones yeah. and zeros and not black and white. Yeah, exactly. But with something like the dating app, especially, I can't, you know, being the the tech pragmatist or, you know, pessimist or whatever, there's a, a real possibility that these apps are pre-programming and predispositioning the algorithms for 
whatever the outcomes that they want. If they want what they would consider or society would consider good looking people to, you know, to find mates that are also good looking, they can program the algorithms. They can, they can make that happen within the systems that they have. To your point, like it really funnels your experience of life, not just, I mean, not just in the dating app, but take it into, you know, social media, like Facebook and Instagram and all those things. I think everybody and their dog at this point seen social dilemma, right? And you've seen how they've engineered what you see on your feeds to either be extraordinarily polarizing in a negative way to get you to react and stay on longer, or they get you, they just feed you what you like and and they just galvanize your own echo chamber. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so the thing that I always go back to, you know, because <laughs> there's a part of me that says, OK, I'm getting out. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on and I'm never getting on social media again. Right. Because I don't want to be I don't want to be a, a cog in the Borg. But how do we fight it? Right. Because social media is something that's so or, or tech in general. And to your point, like everything has an algorithm. But what are your thoughts on on how do we turn that into something positive or how do we protect ourselves against it? Because now our data is no longer sovereign, right? Like mm-hmm. when you get on the dating app, yeah, it doesn't have any data on you unless owned by Facebook or owned by Instagram or owned by any of these other that already have profiles built on you. And they go, oh yeah, Drew, he likes all these things and here's his predispositions for everything. Here's his algorithm go, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do we protect ourselves against that? Or how do we start to change it into a more positive side? First off, the beauty thing, I think, is a huge deal. There's certain apps that will promote a certain type of person, let's say blonde girls, because, you know, their users want to see blonde girls, right? So they're going to promote those videos. So you're more likely to go viral. You're more likely to get seen into somebody else's social feed because of the fact that you're good looking. And is, you know, is that fair? Right. How do you protect yourself? I, there's good things and bad things, right, to this. It, it's not all bad. Like, I'm not sure, saying all sure. these algorithms are, are terrible things and we just yep. need to destroy the algorithm, <laughs> you know, go back. Yeah. We, and, and that's never going to happen. But, yeah. you know, I mean, sometimes you want, I mean, with, with food recommendations, right, you want an algorithm to to pick a good restaurant for you. Something you would like some, if I, you know, if I've got a, if I'm going on a date and I need to find a good restaurant, I want an algorithm that's going to help me find a good restaurant so I can, so I can have a good date, make a great first impression. In that way, it's reinforcing, it's still reinforcing your quote unquote biases. You know, it knows you like a steak. So it's not going to feed you a, you know, a salad bar. It's going to feed you a steakhouse because it knows your preferences. Well, and those preferences can also be biases. When you talk about Facebook and and we all know about the, the echo chambers and that's, that's because the, the algorithm is feeding us exactly what we want. And that's how it was designed. Right. right. And, and sure. that makes sense, doesn't it? Absolutely. It yeah. makes sense Absolutely. that they should design the algorithm to give us what we want. And so it's an unintended consequence of the app's design or the algorithm's design. So that leads into the third thing, which is we have to design better algorithms. <laughs> and we do that through a couple of different ways. First is better data, which yeah. is better labeled data, better data sets more equitable data sets. And one of the major problems with these algorithms is these unequal data sets. So in facial recognition uh, cameras, these systems learn on giant data sets 
But these data sets, the facial analysis algorithms behind the facial recognition cameras, they learn on these giant data sets. But these data sets contain a lot of faces of people who look like, you know, us, white guys, but they lack people of darker skin. So there's not a lot of photos of people of darker skin. It's an unequal database that, that they're being fed on. So then they struggle to recognize these facial recognition cameras. They struggle to recognize darker skinned people. And that's a huge deal, right? Number yeah. one, let's say self-driving cars. <laughs> you, you definitely <laughs> want a self-driving car to be able to recognize a person, right? Right. And two, uh, these facial recognition cameras are going up everywhere. I should say they could go up everywhere. They're not. I mean, they're starting to in certain areas, certain areas, certain cities and certain countries are have banned these things or have tabled facial. So I don't want to say everywhere. I don't want to freak anybody out. But they, if, if these yeah, cameras, becoming more prevalent, yeah, for more sure. prevalent. Exactly. If yeah. these cameras, uh, you know, fail to identify a person, it opens that person up to greater scrutiny by law enforcement. Yeah. It, and we, it, there's it, been documented cases Go ahead and explain that. What is the danger there? What is the threat there? What do you mean fail to recognize and what does that lead to? Well, well fail to recognize means they just they misidentify or okay. they fail to identify a person. So they might uh, misidentify a person. And this has happened when in, in many cases, uh, a couple in uh, one case in Detroit where an African-American man was misidentified, the police arrested him. He had an alibi. But the police didn't check his alibi. They just blindly trusted the algorithm. Guy gets arrested, ends up detained for 10 hours. And then you know, they finally figure out the fact that he, get, he, play, he got arrested in front of his family, too. So he's got to explain it to his children, mm -hmm. you know, why he's getting arrested by the cops. The guy's completely innocent. And it's just because the police blindly trusted the algorithm. To get back yeah. to the point, it's it's uh, it's better data, but and there's mm -hmm. other ways. But you had a question, Drew. But there's other ways that we can help alleviate these issues. Yeah, well, I was just going to tag on. I think maybe help answer Joel's question. You know, in terms of the the, the issue with not ha not recognizing other folks. To your point, if a data set is proliferated with lots of middle aged white dudes. It can distinguish between those different, you know, it could distinguish between the three of us, right? The camera, the algorithm could look and go, no, that's Drew, that's Joel, that's Corey. But if it doesn't have a whole lot of data sets of darker skinned people, it's just going to see, oh, that's a dark skinned person. It had to be that one person. It isn't able to distinguish yeah. between multiple data points in the set. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. And yeah. yes, in many ways, yes. A part of this is the fact that people like who look like us are designing these things, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, young white guys, uh, and, and so we just we need greater diversity in technology. I mean, it's just it needs to happen. A, yeah. a person who is differently abled mm -hmm. is going to design a better, differently abled algorithm or an algorithm that could serve differently abled people much better than any of us would, right? Yeah. Sure. Be yeah. Because they it's have that experience. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because again, we're getting this question of kind of ethical use of technology. And there are certainly likely many instances where there is an, an intentional injection of bias into the development of an algorithm. But to your point, because there's lacking diversity in the tech field and the people that are involved in the development, there's also unintentional biases that are making their way into the mm -hmm. development of these algorithms. And it, I've, I've said this before, Drew, I think when we were talking to um, a previous guest that I, people are actually pretty good bias filters 
They're just not good at filtering their own bias. And that's why we need this mm -hmm. diversity of participation, diversity of yep. perspectives that are involved in the process. Talk about talk about the problem with data, though, because you know, we've kind of talked the the human element, and I and I think we want to come back and this is and talk more about how do we get better at getting better data sets to feed the algorithms. But there are some other forms of bad data, other problems with data that you mentioned in your TED talk. There's different ways that uh, that data you know can become bad. So there's if I'm going to train a, a machine or an algorithm, first thing I have to do is teach the algorithm different things, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to explain to an algorithm what things are. So if I label a dog and a cat, I I have to label the dog and the cat. So, but right. if I invert those two, that's that's dirty data. That starts because the algorithm doesn't really understand the mistake, right? Right. It doesn't know that was a mistake. It just blindly trusts that mistake if if the cat gets labeled a dog and the dog gets labeled a cat. But if we exclude information from the algorithm, a classic example is if we say that a sneaker is a shoe, but if we don't say a high heel is a shoe, then the algorithm understands that a sneaker is a shoe, but a, a, a high heel is an issue. Right. Now, now that may that may seem minor, but it can have huge consequences. So if I want an algorithm to label a doctor, the data that the algorithm has been fed says that doctors are primarily men. Mm -hmm. So the the algorithm can understand that a man can be a doctor, but it may struggle to understand that a female can be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And that kind of blurs that line, Joel, of of bad data, but also these algorithms inheriting our, our biases, mm -hmm. right? So it's, you know, the first part is the fact that, well, we could feed the algorithm, a, a woman could be a doctor in better ways. But the, the algorithm is learning from historical biases. Mm -hmm. It is learning from our historical biases. And those those biases may not necessarily exist today, but they've existed in the past and the algorithm is still learning from those biases. So in hiring, famous example is Amazon. They did a 10-year study of an algorithm, an assessment algorithm they were using to assess resumes. What they discovered was that the algorithm was promoting the resumes of men and demoting the resumes of women. So if it, if it had uh, women's in the resume, like I went to a women's college, it would demote it. Why? Mm -hmm. the, wow. the answer is because the, the, the Amazon traditionally hired men for those roles. So the algorithm learned that a man was a preferential candidate to a female for one of those roles. And that's just bias. That's historical bias. That's the algorithm inheriting those biases. Yeah, and I think there, to your point, there's a an ownership that you have to take in that, right? And understand and look at it and go, okay, well, historically, we've always hired men for these roles. And so, man, it's it's odd that we're just getting a whole lot of men, you know, as resume candidates and yeah. say, hmm, maybe we should look at that. And, you know, and, and look at the entire body of the data and go, are we really only getting men for these? Or is the data being prioritized that way? And if so, then now we know we need to do something, right? But it's it's people 
and this is just me pontificating and I'm not being the expert here, but I think some of the issues from a standpoint is we become too reliant on those algorithms and we're not constantly assessing them for biases, right? It's just, oh yeah, that's, that's what it said. Okay, move on. That's kind of one of the first steps as we have to be aware of, of that there's always a potential there and just making sure that what we're getting as a result resonates with whatever it is that we want to promote. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head right there. If you're using an algorithm to assess somebody in any way, you can't just blindly trust the algorithm's decision. You got to take a look at it. That is a big deal. If you're if you're hiring somebody and using an algorithm, you know, to hire somebody, that is a huge because you are offering an opportunity to a person and if that algorithm is flawed in some way, yeah. that that is a big deal and that's why you, there has to be human oversight of these algorithms. That's, we go back to that, the police example in that yeah. they, they just blindly trusted the algorithm. Said, so, well, the algorithm made the decision. The algorithm must be right. The algorithm isn't always right, right? Mm -hmm. That's, it's not always right. And that's because it has bad data. It's given bad data. You've been listening to the Digitally Connected Podcast with Joel Harder and Drew Noll. Make sure to check us out wherever you catch all your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new content we'll be dropping regularly. If you enjoyed the content today, give us a five-star rating. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.